the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell, I'm Chip Patterson, and we are here for the first of two mega jam-packed win totals episodes. Count them up! We are going to be doing the SEC East today, we are going to be doing the SEC West on Thursday, uh, that after the ACC show uh, was a beast! Gentlemen, <laughs> we're back together, and thanks to, uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to get through all 100 minutes of uh, delicious ACC win total content, be sure that you get back and get on into it. Uh, you know, you can always just come back to it, you know, just hit pause, then go in and go about your business, come back to it for your afternoon walk or your afternoon workout, whatever you got going on. Uh, any... Uh, any thoughts on the responses that we've had so far from the from the fans to our, our first batches of Wintos? Big Twelve is also out there if you want to go and get that one and the episode before. I just thought the ACC episode was like bordering on Joe Rogan territory, both for length of show and the amount of drugs we were all doing while recording it. That's true. You got to go listen to it to hear what Tom's referencing. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Twelve, you know, I'm starting to feel a little better about my. Oklahoma pick you know they got running backs opting out they've got DUIs on the defensive line they've got all kinds of issues and Texas is now getting a few opt-outs as well you know they've got they're, they're trying to figure some things out like um, I'm, I'm growing in confidence in picking some of the uh, uh, the insurgent big 12 teams what do you I'm think this Oh, I'm sorry. But what do you think the scarier call is for a coach right now? Like the the 2 a.m. call saying, you know, so-and-so was picked up for DUI or so-and-so was at a party where there were positive COVID cases. What party. do you think is scarier if you're a coach right now? COVID, Co- by far. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> we can do a violation of team rules that might only be, what, two quarters, maybe? Right. But no, no, no. When we're talking about the uh, potential 14 to 90 day, 14 day to 90 day absence that could come with uh, the quarantine and the isolation and the positive COVID testing, not to mention potential health complications. Oh, and the the contact tracing is going (laughs) to knock out a whole position group. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, That's that would be the more intimidating or or the more frightening call, I think, uh, at this point for a college football coach. Uh, do you guys I'll, see? Um, do you guys remember the the movie The Program? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. You remember? You remember when uh, Bobby Collins, the backup quarterback, 
gets called into the coach's office for cheating on a test, like using the coach's daughter to cheat on a test for him. And he gets suspended or whatever, and they let him back on the team later on because they need to. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think if Bobby Collins had like thrown a party and invited Darnell Jefferson and Joe Kane and they just sort of chilled out for a night, like sharing beers, that would probably draw the ire of Coach Winters <laughs> even more than his daughter cheating on a test. You know who the program was based on, right? Yes. Florida you? State. Florida State. ESU, FSU, a little similar color scheme there. What was the quarterback's number? 13. What was his name? Kane. All you do is add on two L's. I mean, I may or may not have been laying in the middle of the uh, Pensacola Avenue with my uh, Sports Illustrated in the middle of the road. Maybe. That may or may not have happened. Dancing Riding my motorcycle. Tracks. I, had, I had no idea you had such a dark side, Danny. Do you still Me. have the leather jacket? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's all I wore around campus. It was a hit with the ladies. Oh, That's why you're always smiling just to cover up all that darkness. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh man all right uh you guys ready to count them up for the sec east let's count do it up. as much as i think it's the, the under count is a safe up. play like i can't even count them up count them up how many kids are gonna win this fall i can't fathom who wins how many kids are gonna win this fall i just can't i don't see it it's not it's not on there it's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere. So the numbers that we are going to be using uh, come from the Edgewater in Sport Edgewater Emporium Sportsbook and Entertain Edgewater Sportsbook and Entertainment Emporium. Uh, but get it right. It's a world-renowned sportsbook, Chip. There are numbers out there. Always shop around. We always encourage our listeners to uh, to try and get out there. But this allows some of this analysis to uh, to drive your decisions should you want to go use those cover three show dollars uh, to go and invest on some of these over under win totals. Uh, we begin our conversation with the Florida Gators. The The Florida Gators, they are facing a schedule that, you know, in, in addition to the regular SEC East slate, they go to Ole Miss, they go to Texas A&M, and then they have that rivalry game against LSU at home. They also draw Arkansas at home, which led me to one of my big takeaways from uh, from this Florida schedule. And this is not the Georgia Homer in me. I promise it's not the Georgia Homer in me. But is Florida schedule just charm and soft? Like, did they get the best draw from this? This is ridiculous. I cannot believe the crooked <laughs> SEC is just paving the way for Dan Mullen and the Florida Gators to try and relive the dream of the mid-2000s and, and just walk right into Atlanta. This is... This is absolutely ridiculous. Florida getting, I mean, they, they just get to sit there and like you get in Arkansas. Uh, you've got the the Missouri, the Vanderbilt, the Mississippi. No, no, man, that is that is ridiculous. So I, I'll Ar- save my pick. But Tom, Arkansas and Ole Miss were the two new games. Were those, those were those the add the add-ons? Or they are the two additional outside of uh, and Texas A and M, Texas A and M on the road. So it was A&M and Arkansas that got added. Mississippi was already there. I, I, whatever. Uh, I'm on the, uh, let's see, we got we had the total of seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yep. I'm on the hey, under. Hey, Tom. Yeah. When you, as, as, as our source, as our, as our source close to the books out there at the Edgewater Emporium, uh, 
Where can you get let us know where these numbers may differ from the other numbers that are floating around out there in terms of the the line? Is seven and a half what is that consistently what other sports books uh offshore are talking about as well? I think so. I no longer have those emails in front of me. But really the only differences between my totals and what a couple of books had is the uh the Edgewater sports book, like we've talked about before, has has a rule where they're not cowards. They don't right. play whole numbers. So some of them, you know, like some of these we saw at six, I might've bumped it up to six and a half or five and a half, depending on what I thought was more likely. I can't, I don't remember what they were exactly, but nothing is more than a half win off at most. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So you're on the under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the under simply because I mean, I think, you know, you add Arkansas, that's probably a win, but Mississippi start off a win. South Carolina, they're going to beat. Missouri, they're going to beat. Vanderbilt, they're going to beat. So that's, what, four automatic wins right there. But after that, I'm not so sure A&M on the road. That's somewhat of a coin toss to me. LSU at home, that's I'm leaning LSU before I'm taking Florida there, although I don't think that's an obvious blowout kind of factor. Georgia and Jacksonville are beloved dogs. I First of all, I'm surprised that the game – well, I'm not surprised, but I was – kind of caught off guard to see that they're still planning on playing that game in Jacksonville because I do feel like if the stadiums are going to be empty or at most like 10% capacity, whatever the hell the plans are. At hey, point, the fact world's that- largest COVID party. <laughs> but it'll only be a quarter of the largest cocktail party. That's what it'll be. Like, it'll only be a quarter of it. It's like, it's like an airplane bottle size cocktail right. party. But it's... But I think that Georgia game is is a toss-up, and I lean Georgia there. I think Kentucky is – I'm leaning Florida, but it's not a certainty. In that Tennessee game, I'm leaning Florida, but it's not a certainty. So as I go through all this and I see that total at 7.5, I just think 7-3 and three is a more likely outcome than 8-2, and two, which isn't to say that Florida can't go 9-1 and one and win the East. It's just I think that they're more likely to go 7-3 and three or even 6-4. and four. So I, I'm taking the under. Agreed. That's Ooh. two checks for the under. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, so the the season hinges on the at A and M, LSU, and then Georgia, and I think I I think they will be underdogs in those three games. Um, I think they will be favored in the other seven. Uh, what's Dan Mullen's sort of mo? He he wins what he's supposed to, loses what he's supposed to, and. I think that that happens this year, and I. But even even that, I do think it takes a certain level of uh, projection of of trust in in this in this team and this this coaching staff. Um, defensively, I think they'll be really good. I think the the linebacker group will be good. I think their their secondary is like deep and really talented. Defensive line. Uh, Brenton Cox is supposedly already making noise uh, as, as kind of a newcomer. Jeremiah Moon's a stud. Daryl Slayton's probably an NFL guy on the interior. They've got freshmen coming in that could like they, their defensive line has has enough bodies. They're going to be talented and good. Um, so I, I do think their defense is going to keep them in every game. And and look, if we're worried about an offense like Dan Mullen has certainly proven that you know we shouldn't put too much. Um, lose too much sleep over that. But I like the reality is this. They lost all those wide receivers uh, to the NFL draft. What, four? Um, four, or five, like four or five guys are either, were either drafted or signed uh, as, as undrafted free agents. 
Kyle Trask is back. Yes, absolutely. But have you all seen the news now? Like uh, Trayvon Grimes, Darius um, Tony, uh, uh, Darius Tony, Jacob Copeland, like all those guys are like sitting out the first few days of practice. And it's a little bit unclear why, uh, but there's, there seems to be some insinuations that like perhaps they're, they're uh, thinking about opting out. Um, like if they, if, if, if that receiver group is further depleted, that's just man. That's asking a lot of a of a not very good offensive line, of a of a inexperienced wide receiver group, and a quarterback that was really a facilitator to really good wide receivers last year. So, yeah, Kyle Trask probably takes a step forward, but I think he would have to take a huge step forward if they're losing like their top eight receivers from last year. Um, so I just I think it's a little bit less of a sure thing that Florida is going to be some like SEC East, uh, you know, no doubts, like are they nine and one or 10 and oh kind of season. <laughs> it's, I, I think this is more of a seven and three, maybe six and four. And if things hit right, eight and two. Uh, Kyle Pitts did not doubt, did he? No, Kyle Pitts no, is still there. Okay. The best tight ends of the game. Yeah. I am, I am bullish on the Gators and I'm staying bullish on the Gators. So I, I chalked up six automatic lock wins. Now I'm not going to run to the window as Barton said with the, uh, what was it? Kansas, the half game total. Yeah. When he said he was running to the window. Sprinting. Yeah. I'm going to walk pretty quickly though, over to the window and hit the over. I had six locks with the four toss ups being A&M, LSU, Georgia, and Tennessee. Um, so Kentucky would be the one I think that you guys said was maybe a little bit up in the air that I would say I think Florida is going to win that game. Uh, Texas A&M, like, I'll, I'll ask you guys this question. Who do you think is the best quarterback in the SEC? Is it Kellen Mond? Because I, 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 I think you can make a real strong case that it's Kyle Trask. Absolutely, you can make that case. Year. You can so, definitely make that case. Right. So I – and – that was his first year of meaningful football, like since high school, like early in high school. We know his story. He sat out a bunch, didn't play at all. Um, I think the defense is going to be stout. I think they're going to be strong. I think the defensive line is going to be great. I think the secondary is going to be strong. Love Todd Grantham. What we know out of Dan Mullen is that he does maximize his quarterback play. So as good as Kyle Trask played last year, I think he's going to improve. I'm under the assumption that the re- the receivers are playing because I do think that's a massive issue. Like if you see three guys, three wide receivers opt out, you know, if I have one of those cash out options where I might have to take a whatever 70% loss on my bet, I might take that. But as we sit here today, if they're on, I'm in. I, and I am, again, the Georgia game, I, that one for me was one that I chalked up as a floor to win. Um, LSU, I think that's, a, you know, that's a toss up. I think Texas A&M is a toss-up, and I think Tennessee is a toss-up. But out of those four, all I need is two. I think they go two and two in those four toss-up games. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say they go eight and two, and I'm gonna take the over. Yeah, I've got Florida yeah. going over on this Charmin soft schedule. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm glad you hit that rant. <laughs> it's Listen, schedule we're talking Charmin soft schedules. So wait till we get to our beloved Georgia's schedule here in a minute. <laughs> by the way, do you a- remember when? When Feinbaum came out with the rumored schedule, do you remember it was the rumor was Alabama and AM? And mm-hmm. when I heard that, I flip I've sent out a tweet and I was like, hey, I'm flipping my SEC's pick. I'm gonna take Georgia. 
But then they swapped that out, and it was Arkansas, the replacement, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that to me was a massive <laughs> win, and who knows the politics of what played out behind the scenes. But to avoid Bama and pick up Arkansas, that's a massive win. So I do think I, I, you know, – but, like, for example, Texas A&M, like, it sounds like – and they're supposed to be good, but what's their best record been under Jimbo? You know, like, it's not like they're world beaters. They still have – they still have to prove that they're this – upper tier SEC West team. They've been middle tier, which, and I think that Florida has been upper tier SEC as a whole. So I, I just, I think they're going to win two out of their four toss up games and they'll get to eight. I think that you could going back to the argument about Kyle Trask being the best QB in the SEC. I think that argument is legit and I think it could be made pretty well, but I also going back to what you were talking about, Barton with concerns about this team, particularly on the offensive line. I know I've mentioned this in the past, I'm not entirely convinced that and it's not a knock on Kyle Trask, but considering the personnel that Florida has on this team, I'm not entirely convinced he's the best quarterback on the roster. Emory I Jones. still kind of wonder if Emory Jones is a better fit behind a bad offensive line with what they have for Florida to have more success. And then just looking at the kind of success Dan Mullen has had with similar quarterbacks in his career. So I I feel like I would I would be more confident in them with Emory Jones than I would with Trask at this point. If you like Emory Jones, you're gonna love Anthony Richardson. They're yeah. uh, they're true freshmen. He's like six five, two hundred and thirty pounds, monster arm, just a bulldozer. Like he's your Dan. Like that's Dan that's Prescott? my X factor. That's mm-hmm. my X factor. Is is like if if they get like they like have like an eighteen wheeler package or something like Texas used to do with Tyrone Swoops. Like I I wouldn't be surprised if you see some Anthony Richardson packages. Um. All very good points. My hook here that is different, or at least maybe an additional piece of this, is I think that LSU game at home is a win for Florida. I don't view it as a toss-up. I think that especially getting LSU fourth week of the season, they are going to be getting – like Jamar Chase is one of the best players in all of college football. I think that the massive exodus of talent from last year's national championship team is going to make LSU uh, maybe a little bit. Uh, I'm just knocking them down just a just a hair. And that Florida LSU game against the national champions was a pretty good game last year. So I'm gonna um, I'm, I'm gonna take the Gators in that home game. That really was one of the things that uh, swung me over. I've got, you know, seven wins and three toss ups the way I did it. So seven and a half is right on the number for my chipulation, but I shade over, uh, with that LSU win. Count them up. Our beloved Georgia Bulldogs. (laughs) So the Alabama game stays. It will be in Tuscaloosa. It will not be on September 26th. It will be on October 17th. Uh, The season will start September 26th at Arkansas. That rivalry game against Auburn has been moved up in the season as opposed to being later in the year. Then we also draw Mississippi State at home from the other division, and I believe that rounds out uh, the rest of the cross-division games. The over-under set here is set for 7.5 Barton. Where are you going with the Bulldogs? Well, first of all, the Bulldogs now are on the clock. Like the the honeymoon is over. We have been a Georgia pod now for the better part of the last eight months. And by being a Georgia pod, we have been very pro-Georgia. We have believed in Georgia. 
But if Georgia starts letting us down this year, the the honeymoon's going to end real quick. Uh, this, this we ain't we ain't no Disney dogs on this pot. Now we're <laughs> we are we are holding them to a high standard. So yes, this is a Georgia pod, and so on a Georgia pod, I go over the seven and a half. In fact, I was very appreciative of that number. Uh, I think Georgia is going to be really good. I think their defense is like one of those defenses that their second team unit would be like the third best defense in the Pac-12. Like they're, this is a, a, a stacked, loaded defense. I think that they are extremely talented at the wide receiver position, albeit relatively young, but extremely talented. I think Jamie Newman, who seems like he'll be the starter. I think JT Daniels seems to be still kind of getting over his injury and seems like Jamie Newman's the guy. Uh, I think assuming that, I mean, this is all, like we've talked about the, 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 the sort of stipulation of Georgia for months and that like Kirby Smart's got to let Todd Monk and uh, get, do this thing right. But I, I'm, I think I've, I've got optimism there that the offense will look, look good. And I just think the talent accumulation is, is legit. And I think that they're capable of beating Alabama. I, I'm picking Alabama to win that game, but I think they're capable of beating Alabama. And so I think if you just like, if you're going to say they lose to Alabama, if we're going to hand them that loss, I feel pretty confident they're not going to find two more losses somewhere along the way. Like if you give them me an eight, eight and a half here, that, that might've been, this would have been a tough, tough one, but a seven and a half. Like to me, that's a pretty clean, clean pick for me. All right, I'll I'll, uh, uh, I'll be the balance, I guess, for the Georgia love that's on what? here. Serious, I it, early like this is a couple months ago on HQ CBS Sports HQ. I had my pick as to win the SEC East was Florida. I got a lot of shade from some Georgia fans, so I'll I'll balance it out. But I'm going to take the over too because of the win total. Like I was actually looking around, shopping around, and looking around. I saw eight. And if you would have said eight and a half, I would have taken the under all day long. But the same philosophy, I think, that I'd use with Florida, because I see six locks, automatic wins. I think we all would agree on that. And then the four toss-ups, I think, are tougher than Florida's four toss-ups, you know, the four toughest games. Like, I, yeah, they might beat Alabama, but they'll be underdogs. I am, I think the Florida Gators are better, so I, I'm kind of leaning that way to pick the, uh, to Florida to win that one. Tennessee, I put as one, but like Tennessee's an unknown. I still would give that W to Georgia, even though I don't think it's a lock. And then Auburn's kind of the enigma, like, you know, Auburn every year, like, what are you going to get? So I still think I'd taken the same philosophy. I think they'll get two out of their four kind of toss up like games. I do. The reason I picked against them in the SEC East before we knew the season was going to be adjusted was there's so much optimism around Jamie Newman. And I think there should be, but it's, I just feel like we've had such a string of successful quarterbacks with, you know, Kyler Murray transferring to Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts transferring to Oklahoma, Joe Burrow transfers to LSU. And what do you see? Massive success stories. And they're great. I, I, I think people are plugging in Jamie Newman into a system which hasn't been great. And I know they have Munkin coming in, but I think there's going to take some time. Three offensive linemen are gone to the NFL, and they were really good offensive linemen. You know, the receiving core was young. They're, they should get better. Um, they're going to have talent around them. I just – I don't have as much confidence that this offense is going to be able to – like, and if you look at what Kirby has done 
and what his MO has been, he's created a version of Alabama East, right? Mm-hmm. Outstanding defense. Don't screw it up offensively. And Jake Fromm was great at that. But I, Nick Saban learned, hey, I have an awesome defense every year. I got to put up points. And I feel like Kirby's trying to evolve to that way, but I have to see it before I buy into Georgia as just, hey, this, this, because I like the hire. I like getting a little bit more explosive and having more of a 2020 mindset offensively, but I got to see it before I buy into it. But I'll take the over regardless because it's at seven and a half. I am also on the over. I've got it as uh, eight wins and Alabama, I think it's a toss up. I think that Georgia can go into Tuscaloosa and win in regular season. I think it is more likely that Georgia wins in Tuscaloosa during the reg- in the regular season in the fourth week of a crazy, hastened uh, start to the year than it is that Georgia necessarily is able to get over on Alabama in an SEC championship game. I've got Florida as my other toss-up, and then because of talent accumulation and because of the best defense in the country. And like I think that while Nick Saban and Alabama have embraced, especially with the arrival of Tua Tagovailoa, a more, um, more modern approach on offense, it's also come at the same time as a slight step back defensively. And I think that this Georgia defense probably lines up with the Alabama defense of 2015 that allowed uh, undrafted Jacob Coker and 42 carry per game Derrick Henry to be able to carry the offense. And while there is not a Derrick Henry Heisman contender back, uh, right there, Zeus is still pretty good. And I think that they're still going to be able to have an offense that even if they don't make the full transition into something that's more modern and up-tempo or spread or, or whatever the evolutions or wrinkles that Todd Monkins put, puts in, I even still think a, uh, a pro-style old-school Georgia approach with this defense could get them to 8-2. and two. So at 7.5, I will be taking the over. Chip, hit the Latifa. Oh, yes. It makes me happy. Seven and a half, eight and a half. I'm taking the over. That's right. That is a bulldog loyalist. Listen, and it's not even that. It this is an objective, objective analysis. As I have said in our win total shows, I think that talent is going to be an even larger deciding factor this year than in any other season. And I look at this schedule and there's only one team on it that even comes close or can compete with this Georgia roster as far as talent is concerned. Arkansas, they're going to kill. Auburn is a coin flip simply because it's Auburn, it's Gus, it's a rivalry game. So that is up in the air. But I'm sorry, I, I am not a believer in Bo Nix. I am not taking Auburn to win that game. Tennessee, Georgia's going to beat them. Alabama, coin flip. Kentucky, that's a win. Florida, I think that's probably a Georgia win because I don't think Florida has the kind of talent that Georgia does. Mizzou, a win. Mississippi State, a win. South Carolina, a win. Vanderbilt, a Blood. win. I think this is a 9-1 <laughs> team. And, yeah, I don't think Jamie Newman is a surefire, you know, threat to be a great QB like we have seen with other more established transfers. But I've also seen Todd Munkin 
take some pretty mediocre average ass quarterbacks and put together some very excellent seasons with them. And Jamie Newman and JT Daniels are far and away the most talented quarterbacks. I think that Munkins ever had a chance to work with in an offense. And then you mentioned those young receivers, Danny, that's very talented receiving core. That's kind of gained some experience. And I think is on the precipice of having a huge season and some breakout studs in this offense. And you combine it with the defense, which is statistically going to look a little worse simply because of the offense it's going to be matched up with. It's going to be on the field a lot more than it's ever really been to. So the numbers are going to be worse, but it's still an elite defense. This team's going 9-1. and one. It might go 10-0. and 0. Georgia, over. Count it. Lock it up. So the quarterback discussion... And the, like, I think it's such an interesting debate, quarterbacks. Like, all right, you, yes, Kyle Trask may be the best quarterback. You could also make a case for KJ Costello. You could make a case for Jamie Newman. You could make a case for Mac Jones or Bryce Young. You could make a case uh, for, I don't know, there's some a couple others I'm probably leaving out. Like, th- this is a very kind of odd quarterback year. Are you intentionally and- not mentioning Kellen Mond? Kelman, no, nah, you probably can't make a case for Kelman. You make- can certainly make a case for his highs being right. being top quarterback highs. Wait, uh, how would you make a case for KJ Costello and not Kelman? KJ, KJ Costello's twenty eighteen. Are you talking from a physical skill set aspect? Or, yeah, he was, but he, I don't know, but he didn't maintain KJ, it. KJ Costello's twenty eighteen season is the best season on the record by any quarterback that will be suiting out in the SEC this year. So I think KJ Costello absolutely has a case. The and and the Jamie the Jamie Newman debate is it's it's been around like okay, is Jamie Newman who he was at Wake Forest against the bad teams, or is Jamie Newman who he was at Wake Forest against the good teams, or is Jamie Newman going to be the like the better version of Jamie Newman at Georgia because he won't be with Wake Forest guys like he'll be with Georgia guys around him, and as I like the more I think about it the more I'm. I'm not like he's I'm not saying he's going to be Kyler Murray or something, but I I think he's going to be much more like the good Jamie Newman than the bad Jamie Newman based on the fact that he won't have to do it alone. Like you just won't. And Georgia will allow him to be a distributor when necessary, allow him to for the run game to be a complement to the rest of the offense. We'll 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 lean on the run game from the the the, the running backs when necessary. Like I just think it's silly to say, oh, Jamie Newman sucked against Clemson. He's going to suck when he plays teams in the SEC. That's just that, – that's, that's a totally different environment that you're inserting him into. And, and I'm more of a believer that he will be successful than not uh, based on the, the players around him. How many games are going to win this fall? Now, if our beloved dogs let us down, which they won't unless – crooked Florida somehow rigs this thing and pays all the refs off. I got to say another program that has gotten a lot of love on this podcast that will be in the running is the Kentucky Wildcats because the way that this program and this staff have been able to just piece things together with great offensive line play, strong defense. I mean, just everything in the trenches, it builds out from there. You know, the we've, we've got Stoops. Just, you know, he was the sort of being that early name for Florida State. And, and I felt like here on the podcast, really, I mean, I don't know, man. He's done a pretty good job at Kentucky. Kentucky remains with him. You know that you don't just get buy one, get one wins at Kroger Field. 
So this number set at four and a half, and it's it's awfully daunting. You know, you, you're drawing an Auburn, you're drawing an Alabama from the other side. You've got Mississippi State on the slate. Danny, first crack at this one. The Kentucky Wildcats set at four and a half. How are you picking it? It's like was there an adjustment? Five and a half. It's okay, five good. And a half? This, this is big. This is yeah. big for me. So I had to make sure we corrected that. Um, true story. When uh, I was working my Sirius XM show with Greg McElroy, and he was talking about the Stoops rumors to Florida State. And he was like, I have a little birdie who's telling me that Mark Stoops wants no part of Florida State because it's a dumpster fire and he's got a great thing going at Kentucky. And I was like, okay. And he's probably right. Like, he does have a good thing going at Kentucky. Um, all right, so here's the way I, I put down this my, uh, my notes here. So five and a half was the total. When I went through, uh, you know, the wins, losses, I had five wins and five losses. So that would say, all right, the obvious under. But I was like, all right, let me let me just double check this. And so my philosophy was, all right, which column do I feel more confident in? Do I feel more confident that the five wins are a lock or do I feel like the five losses are locks? And for me, without question, it was the five losses were the locks. So I'm going to take the under. Um, you know, I had them losing to Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, Bama, and Florida. And then the wins I had were Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Missouri, Vandy, and South Carolina. Um, which again, they—I I don't know—they they could they could shock. I mean, Terry Wilson's back, another year matured. We—it was funny we didn't mention him in the best quarterbacks. I mean, sixty-six percent completion percentage. Been you know got missed last year. Eddie Grant, this staff did a phenomenal job maximizing what they had in Lynn Bowden Jr. last year. Like that was one of the best you know, not only individual performances carrying a team from the wide receiver switching to quarterback, but just the play there. The offensive line returns four out of five. They're going to be stout along the offensive line. They got a young defensive line. I think they're going to be good. I just, I think they're going to be around 500. So I'm going to take the under by a sliver. Yeah, I'm with Danny. And it, it hurt. It was painful to do it. But it just when I when I look at the schedule, and I look at everything that's going on. It's like I feel like, you know, starting the season on the road with Auburn is probably going to be a loss. And then you look further along the schedule and it's like it's hard to see this team beating Georgia. It's hard to see them beating Alabama and it's hard to see them beating Florida. So in my mind, that's four losses right there. So now they've got to win out to hit the over here. And when I look at games against Mississippi, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Mizzou, Vandy, South Carolina, I can't sit here and think that Kentucky's going to, you know, run through that without a mistake. And maybe they pull off an upset in one of those other four games, which allows them more room to breathe to get to six and four. That's very much at play. But I, I'm with Danny. This is this is a five and five schedule to me for Kentucky. So it's really hard for me to justify taking the over here. I, I have to stick on the side of the under. Chip, I'm on the under. It really pay. I had it at four and a half in my notes and I had it on the over. But I was wrong about that. I mean, there goes that that UNC education right there. Uh, you know, just off on it. I just so I see this as uh, Mississippi, Vanderbilt, South Carolina for sure wins. I've got Auburn, Georgia, Alabama, Florida as losses, and then I've got Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Missouri as toss ups. That Missouri one was maybe friendly to Eli Drinkwitz and the Tigers, but. It's, it's like I feel almost uh, – I feel like there's as much a potential that Kentucky gets Auburn as they do they might also lose to a Missouri. So I've 
yeah, I've, I've just got to stick to my process. I also see it at five and five. Good. I'm glad. I'm, I have no problem being the only lunch pail guy on this pod. <laughs> I mean, look, Drake Jackson is awesome. Darian Kennard is awesome. Like, I think that uh, uh, Josh Pascal is going to have a great season. Like, they're, they're everything that I said in the lead-in is stuff that I like about Kentucky. Look, soon tough as schedule. Asked Chip after after I was done with my pick. The way his voice was, I was sitting there like, "Oh, he wants Chip to say under so bad right now." <laughs> I actually do. Like, I actually do. If you guys all were on the over. I would feel much worse about my pick, not because I don't trust any of your opinions, but because us Kentucky Wildcats thrive <laughs> on the chip on our shoulder. That blue chip on our shoulder is a necessity for our success. And so we'll keep on wearing our name and signif- whatever on our shirt, like our, you know, our, our, our workman shirt. You guys keep on wearing your coat and tie. This, this team is, is, edgy it's it's nasty and it's good like all right my first my first kentucky point what if i were to tell you at the uh, at the end of the season or now just right now what if i were to tell you kentucky has the best offensive line in the country like the best offensive line in the country does that and and if and if and if the 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 gods were to come down and say that is accurate it is in fact the best offensive line in the country would you guys would you change your mind no, because I, I, I already feel okay. like they have a great offense. Yeah, line. agree. Okay. We just filled all out right. our all American ballots, and, I, and like right. I had so, Kentucky names even, on there. And, and so they made. So they and and look, they. All I'm saying is they do have a really good offensive line. So that's that's like point number one that I think is is critical. Like their their offensive line is legitimately a contender as a Joe Moore Award offensive line. Mm-hmm. They have Terry Wilson at quarterback that is very. Uh, I like I, it feels like he is has a firm grasp on that team from a leadership standpoint. I think they really believe in him. I think that he is going to be a dual threat enough to keep teams honest. And I think he's going to be able to, um, to operate the offense effectively at a, at a pretty high level. And then Joey Gatewood has not gotten uh, cleared his waiver yet, but if Joey Gatewood is, is cleared the transfer from Auburn, they could basically just keep the Lynn Bowden offense as just sort of a side a side gig there, just like like insert it when needed. Joey Gatewood runs in there, runs the Lynn Bowden stuff, and and like that's just a, a different thing you got to prepare for. Uh, the running backs are deep. Their their defense is is good on all three levels, um, particularly at the the line of scrimmage. Like I just think this is a key team that's like a classic Kentucky team, and so I think that they are good. My only question is like I don't even know. I, I know nothing about their wide receivers because they didn't throw it to them last year. But <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's a reason that on my, uh, my our coach, assistant coach draft, I had two Kentucky guys on it. I think they're, I think they're stat, and, and another at least one that I considered in, in Eddie Grant. So their staff is good. It's resourceful. They find ways to win. And I do not. I think that I'm giving Georgia and Bama and Florida losses, though I think they could beat Florida. I'm not giving Auburn. I'm not. I'm not tossing that up as just a loss. So that's one of the like. That's one of my could go either way games that I'm factoring in. And then what? Like South Carolina, I guess. Like Tennessee, I guess. So like, like Tennessee, Mississippi State. You're seeing those as being Kentucky wins. Yeah, I am. I would hope so. So am yeah. I though. My concern with that over though, because there's a lot of things you you're arguing for for reasons to take the over with Kentucky are a lot of things that have existed with Kentucky the last few years. You know, the offensive line, the fact that maybe Joey Gatewood they can keep doing the Lynn Bowden offense, a very good defense, very good coaching, and with all of that being true over the last four years, they are 16 and 16 in the SEC. 
and they're playing 10 SEC games this year. So with all of those things going that way, they still have only been a 500 team in conference play. You got to got to figure things out on the fly. And <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You got to figure right. things out on the fly in 2020. That should bode well for the, uh, the Kentucky coaching exactly. staff. Exactly. Coming up on the other side, taking a deep dive and a look at Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Barton Simmons Vanderbilt Commodores. Next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Eli Drinkwitz is not going to announce his, his starting quarterback before the opener against Alabama because he wants to make a full army of graduate assistants and offensive analysts have to break defensive analysts, excuse me, have to break down, you know, Bush Hamden's Washington. Uh, they need to go and break down Eli Drinkwitz, Appalachian state and NC state. I mean, he's, he's cobbled the staff together. He's going to get a decided schematic advantage. Don't think it's going to matter. Uh, Alabama's probably going to end up winning that game. Missouri also from the West draws Arkansas, which is favorable, draws Mississippi State, and draws LSU, LSU being less than favorable. The Missouri Tigers in year one with Eli Drinkwitz. Tom, uh, the number that we're working with here is three and a half. Which way are you leaning? You know, I have to admit that they're could definitely be some perception bias in this pick for me because you know as we've talked about on this show we had a mailback question about it a couple months ago about coaches and which coaches do you think hate nerds the most and i don't hate nerds but when i see eli drinkwitz (laughs) (laughs) there's a perception that i get when i see eli who apparently is very smart and is a very good football coach he's gotten the head job at missouri for a reason not because he doesn't know what he's doing it's just when i see eli drinkwitz and i look at the sec it is just hard for me to imagine 
Eli Drinkwitz winning a lot of games in the SEC, particularly in his first year, maybe in year two or three when he gets the lay of the land and he finds some small advantages he could take advantage of. That's the season it happens. So, but not in year one. And when I look at this schedule, it doesn't add any more confidence because this is a bear of a schedule really for Mizzou because you are playing Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia. Those are four of the best teams in the SEC, and you've got to deal with them. And then you add teams like Tennessee and Kentucky, which will not be simple games. South Carolina is not going to be a simple game. Mississippi State's not going to be a simple game. The only real gimmies on this schedule right now are Vanderbilt and Arkansas, and I'm not 100% convinced that those are gimmies for Mizzou. Wow. So I Well, I mean, think about it. If Vandy and Arkansas are going to win a game this year, who's one of the teams that you think they're most likely to beat? Well, I'm not going to spoil my Vandy and Arkansas picks, but exactly. So when I when I put all of that together, it's hard for me to see this team getting to four wins. I think three and seven is very likely, and I don't think it's going to be a three and seven where we're seeing Mizzou getting blown out by 25 to 30 points every week. I think that a lot of these losses will be close losses. It's just this doesn't strike me as a program right now where I can have a ton of confidence in it winning four games. So I have to take the under. I'm I'm on the under as well. Um, I I just have a hard time finding four wins. I thought I I thought I was a little bit more confident in Missouri until I until I dug a little bit, and I I'm I think it's fortunate for Missouri that Eli Drinkwitz is an offensive coach. And I think he's a really good offensive coach, and I think that perhaps it's it's not as bad as it looks because he's gonna fix some things, but it doesn't look great to me on offense in particular. I mean, the offensive line isn't great. Last time we saw Sean Robinson, he was a turnover machine. Uh, I still assume he's the quarterback. And if he's not, then that's, I feel like that's an even worse sign. Um, the running backs, I, I kind of like um, Larry Roundtree and mm-hmm. Tyler Beatty, I think are good players, but you know, receivers, like pretty much everyone's gone from last year mm-hmm. that, and that group even kind of underachieved as it was. And so while I see, well, I, well, I think there's good players on, on, on all three levels, um, especially the linebacker position on defense. Like I just, I just don't see a team that's equipped to, for a 10 game sec schedule. Maybe, maybe this was a team, you know, with an eight game sec schedule and they get some confidence in, in the non-conference and, you know, they, 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 they can rest up, lick their wounds a little bit here and there. They can catch someone, but I think there's a tough, I think there's a tough first year for Eli Drinkwitz. Um, I'm on the under. I see four and six as the absolute best result. And I think two and eight is not, uh, not something that would be totally crazy here. So for Missouri, I'm also on the under right here. The you mentioned the linebackers. Nick Bolton's one of the best linebackers in the country. Uh, the defense could still be uh, a group that's going to be able to keep them in and competitive uh, against teams like a Tennessee, a Mississippi State, a Kentucky, a South Carolina. But I only see Vanderbilt and Arkansas as four sure wins. So I am. I, I've got two and eight. And I've got three and seven, and then like four and six seems like a best case scenario. So at three and a half, I'm also on the under. What is it, the Latifa we're hitting? (laughs) (laughs) I'm figuring this thing out. I'm figuring this thing out. (laughs) I'm on the under as well. I 
really, really like Eli Drinkwitz. I get the whole looks like a nerd thing. He does. I got to interview him several times last year. He has a great personality. He's quick with, like he's quick. He's funny. Um, he's great he's in job really, interviews. Look, look, we've, we yeah. can tell he's great <laughs> in job that interviews. Kills that it. doesn't win you games, right? <laughs> that does not win you games. We've seen quirky, funny coaches before, and they've been bounced after two or three years in the SEC. So that does nothing for him. You know what else doesn't do him any favors um, is the, the, the pandemic. Like I think new coaches with only four offensive starters returning with a question at quarterback, you know, defense should be okay. But like, I, I just, I think there's going to be a learning curve that is already a challenge to take over a new program and, you know, implement a new system. When you have very little spring practice, when you have very little in-person coaching on field coaching, Live, like just all the issues that they've been dealing with. It's like one more hurdle that you're going to have to overcome. And again, going back to the schedule, I'm with you guys. I had Vanderbilt and Arkansas as the two wins. And I was looking at them, like trying to talk myself into some other ones. I just, I, I just, I think it's going to be really tough. So I, I took the under as well. Count them up. South Carolina Gamecocks entering this season. If, if we were in any other season, where there wasn't a pandemic, uh, it, you were playing full schedules and, you know, we had a long run up and a spring practice that we would be very deep in the will must champ hot seat conversation. I don't think that that definitely does not play a role in my win total prediction. And it definitely doesn't become as much of a storyline for me though. As I run through this for South Carolina, our number that we're working with is at three and a half. And, uh, and I'm, I think the, the four shore wins are going to be pretty hard to come by. They open, they go Tennessee at Florida, at Vanderbilt, Auburn at LSU. So Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, LSU, geez, that's tough. Then you finally get your break. Like if not for that Vanderbilt game, that bye week would be the hot seat week for Will Muschamp. But at least there is the potential to be able to get a win right there. Then they go Texas A&M at Ole Miss, Missouri, Georgia, finish the season at Kentucky. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll take first crack at this. So I, I do have Vanderbilt as the only for sure win. I real quickly, and I try to maintain equity. I've already played out the entire conference on the chipulation. I've got my SEC West, West win totals locked in as well. And I've got six losses here for the Gamecocks with the three toss-ups being like, Texas A&M because sure. And we'll get to Texas A&M in our next show, but Hey, Texas A&M's like ceiling and floor. The way I see it this year, it's like very, very wide difference between those two Mississippi state. I see as a toss up Missouri as I see as a toss up. So man, at at three and a half with only one win that I'm, I'm giving them six losses and three toss ups that has me going under. I think this is a three and seven season for the Gamecocks. I don't know what it means for Will Muschamp, you know, he's trying to generate a, a new new little bit of offense between behind Ryan Halinski, but this is uh, this is going to be a really, really tough schedule for the Gamecocks to try and find some big steps forward in terms of the on-field success. I will be under three and a half. So, all right, so I just did a little math just, so, just now um, because I was curious, like, in the Will Muschamp South Carolina tenure, I, I'm I'm trying to like because they they knocked off Georgia last year, and so I was trying to think is as 
is this team a threat to beat really good teams regularly? And I just I just look back at in the old trusty Phil Steele and I tabulated their their performances, their record against ranked teams at the time they played. And it was it's two and thirteen. Uh it's the it's twenty sixteen they beat an eighteenth ranked Tennessee. Uh, then they went 0-3 their next three games through 2017, and then they went 0-4 in 2018, um, and then they went 1-3 the following. So what is that? That's not 13. That's, that's what, 2-10? and 10? Whatever I came up with, 2-11. and 11. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a little to a lot. And so I think um, the, my, 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 the reason I say that is because I think that this schedule hurts them. I, I think that like if if like you're gonna, uh, they're they're Florida, Auburn, LSU, A and M, Georgia, probably all ranked teams when they play them. Um, and that's and that's just like and I know like they're all going to be ranked for sure given like the the limited season we're talking about. But those teams are probably ranked in a, in a full slate. Um, Kentucky might be ranked. You know, Tennessee might be ranked. Um, who knows what else? But like. I just think this is this is just too much for South Carolina. And I think this is going to be a really interesting year. I think Mike Bobo coming in at offensive coordinator is huge. It's probably the first time Will Muschamp's ever had a good offensive coordinator in his head coaching career, which is an indictment on him as much as anything. But it still perhaps means positives on the offensive side of the ball this year. But I, I think they got to get to next year to really see that, that get um, kind of shine through. Uh, Colin Hill sounds like he might end up winning the job, the Colorado State transfer, um, who wow. is knows Mike Bobo's system. That's that's not surprising to me. He just had a ton of injury issues. He's actually a really good player. Uh, you know, I think they'll probably start a true freshman at running back, which isn't all bad because that dude's a stud. And Marshawn Lloyd defense will be good. This is supposed to be the best offensive line of Will Muschamp's tenure. Like, there's a lot of good things. I just don't think that it's as good as what they'll be playing. And I think that like the big ones, the two big ones for me are Tennessee and Kentucky. Tennessee, I looked at that one and I thought, similar rosters, similar strengths, similar teams. Who's the better coach? And we don't have like a, a ton of, of um, body of work to go off of with Jeremy Pruitt. So I'm not going to say that this is any sort of, um, you know, incredibly like obvious choice, but like I would lean Jeremy Pruitt there. So I'm giving Tennessee the edge there. And then you got Kentucky at the back end of the schedule and that could go either way. But I, I still think Kentucky's a better team and a more established team. And so I just, I guess it, it, it that's a long way of saying it gets down to me just not trusting South Carolina. I'm on the under. I, I tried to talk myself into the over uh, and I just, I couldn't justify it. Like I was trying to think, I was, I actually had this theory of that no fans could actually be South Carolina's favor. That could be their advantage. How? <laughs> In a season when this is this was my mind. I'm backing off of this take because I think clearly Will Muschamp is in this kind of make or break, like hot seat type of season. And I think if they, you know, if they opened up and they struggled, I think if there were fans, he would hear about it. Like if they lost to Tennessee and Florida, you know, like or they were losing. Uh, to Tennessee early, like there would be booze. Players would be like down. Like I think, I think you can hear that and you can feel that yeah. negative energy. I was like, maybe fa- no fans could actually be good for a team with a coach on the hot seat that could be struggling. I just I can't play any mind tricks with myself though to talk myself into it. I saw six locks in the loss column 
four toss-ups. You know, I, I had two wins against Vandy and Missouri, and then my two kind of toss-up ones. I am more bullish on Tennessee. Like, true, all those things that Barton was just laying out about South Carolina, Tennessee, what's the difference? I think there's a massive difference, and it's momentum. Like, one team is headed the right direction. One's headed the wrong and I'm I'm a and I know like the analytical nerds hate it. I'm a believer in momentum and confidence and belief. And I think you you know Tennessee is is riding on a high and South Carolina's kind of coming in here limping. New coordinator again. I I that's the quarterback is going to be really interesting to me because I you know Ryan Holinsky was such a positive story, um potential. But then you got a guy with his coach coming in like that's an interesting dynamic. Like I. If, if I was Helensky and I saw Bobo coming in here with his quarterback that played pretty well for him, I'd be like, man, this is this is this fair? You know, like, and I think it's a, just a human nature type of thing. They have a relationship. Now, clearly, he's going to play the better quarterback. But I don't know. There's just there's too many reasons when I look at this that are negative. So I'm going to take the under as well. Give me the Latifah. I just, yeah, it's, I don't really have a whole lot to add. Cause it's like Barton and Danny, you guys have just kind of nailed it on the head. It's you look at this situation with Muschamp at South Carolina in SEC play in his four years, they're 15 and 17. And they've done that with six of their eight games every year coming against SEC's competition. So 75% of their conference games are in division. But when Will took over that job, we could make the argument that he inherited a program from Spurrier that was in a better spot than teams like Tennessee and Kentucky were at that time. But in the four years since that started, Kentucky and Tennessee have trended up and South Carolina has been going the other way. So whereas now you used to be able to think, okay, Tennessee is a game that they can win. Kentucky's a game they can win. Missouri's a game they can win. You can know you can't. I don't have that confidence that any of those games are like games where I feel like really comfortable saying, "Oh yeah, South Carolina is going to win that one more often than not." So I can't take the over. It's it's got to be an under. I don't think it's going to be a very fun year for the Gamecocks. But Will Muschamp in this position, I don't think you can make a move on a head coach. No, I think he'll be safe because of it. But hey, I who knows? I mean, if they go two and eight, I don't know if if you know the the situation's going to save them. I don't know, man. What if this is, you know, no one's making moves. Will Muschamp on what his buyout's down to at this point. But, uh, you know, what if L- Louisiana, Lafayette over there has another big-time Sunbelt season. Billy Napier. This is, your, this is your chance to go, un, you know, unimpeded and mm-hmm. go grab Billy Napier. I don't know, man. I right. do that. So, did Barton, did you throw this into my head that you – Maybe had tapped a, an industry source who suggested that it might actually be feeding season with the idea that not many schools are going to be willing to pony up buyouts. And if you are, you might have first pick in the draft. Right. Well, yeah, like not not that it will be feeding season, but but just that, yes, there if you do have the courage, the, cur- to, the financial to courage, deal with the, the financial courage, <laughs> yeah. then you might just get, you know, the the number one pick. Um, and you know, it's a, it might be an interesting gamble to try to play. It's fascinating. And if you're in that position and you're a South Carolina fan, like the worst thing you could have happen is a four and six where there's not a lot of backing to get him out of there. You know what I mean? Like then it could be harder 
to financially endure that. But if you're two and eight, whatever the, you know, whoever's ready to ch- cut the checks is ready to cut the check. Like, let's move on. So like, it's kind of like a tanking situation in the NBA where there, it doesn't do you any good to just be okay. You want to either be really good or really bad this year if you're South Carolina. How many games are going to win this fall? Tennessee Volunteers, uh, rough start to the season, finished really, really strong. They followed it up by locking in a top 20 class in 2020, and they've spent a lot of this summer putting up some great headlines for the work they're doing on the recruiting trail in 2021. That brings us back to uh, sort of the immediate future where you've got one of the best offensive linemen in the country in Trey Smith. You've got a potential uh, burgeoning star in Henry Toto at linebacker going into his sophomore year after an all-freshman season. We mentioned the the ups and downs. Like this is a this is a team that is on the escalator on the way up. Uh, five and a half is the number that we are using here. Tom, which way are you leaning for the vowels? I do not have a lot of confidence in this pick on either side. And truth be told. You might remember that earlier this summer, spring, before everything went to hell, we were asked to do a post chip on uh, picking like a major upset for the season. And I, at that point, had chosen my upset to be Tennessee, finally ending its losing streak to Alabama based on the fact that the original schedules had Tennessee going into that game with a bye, whereas I think it was Alabama's eighth consecutive game. And I can't remember who they were playing the week before, but it was, it was a big game. And then the game afterwards was a pretty big game as well. So I thought maybe Alabama kind of tired, worn down in a bad sandwich spot. Tennessee finally jumps up and gets them. Well, that's no longer the case with the schedule, though Alabama does play Georgia the week before. But I'm still taking Tennessee to beat Alabama because, damn it, Ooh. I am a man of my conviction. Whoa. And with that, Ooh. that is my sixth win on the schedule for Tennessee. So I'm going over again. Not a ton of confidence, but I got to stick with it. I'm going. They're getting six wins, baby. Get it aggregated. <laughs> Tom, Tom for Nelly. <laughs> Wes Rucker, are you listening? Any context when you do, just put it in the headline. <laughs> I thought okay. I was supposed to be the hot take guy. That's, that's like that's <laughs> dropping them on him, Tom. I love it. All right, I'll, I'll go ahead. I again, you just heard what I said about South Carolina had the right. I have to take the over here. Um, five and a half. I, the way I did it. I saw it when I did it kind of similarly as I did with who was the other five and a half I had earlier where there were five. Oh, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky. I had, cause when I just put it up, who I think is going to win and loss, it was sitting there at five and five. And then I was like, all right, which column do I feel more confident in? Do I feel like the losses, five losses are a lock or the five wins a lock Kentucky. I said, I felt like the losses were a lock with Tennessee. I feel like the wins are more of a lock. So then all I have to do is get one, win out of the games versus Georgia, Bama, Texas A&M, Auburn, or Florida. That sounds easy. Like, all I have to do is win against one of those. It's not exactly an easy slate. But last year, they were 5-3 and three against the East. Um, we know about the momentum they finished the season with. Five wins, got the win against Indiana in the bowl game. Um, nine returners on offense, eight returners on defense. They've got a lot of returning star power. Uh, Jarek Wartano's got to get better. It feels to me like he's been there 18 years. It feels like he's been there forever. I would assume uh, he's going to get better. And, you know, for Tom to say that, like, they had Bama on the ropes before yeah. he, 
you know, had the knucklehead move and tried to, you know, to call his own number, which sounds great in theory. And then it goes 99 the other way and the game completely flips on his head. But, uh, you know, and as bad as this was early last year, you got to give Jeremy Pruitt for holding this team together, for keeping guys invested, for not letting them quit. And I think this team is carrying momentum. And I, for a long time, made fun of Tennessee fans for getting all excited and saying this is going to be the year. I actually think this is going to be a year. where I, If there was a who could surprise not named Florida or Georgia, I would say give me Tennessee. No question. Now, I'm not willing to go emphatically enough and say, well, yeah, they're going to win the East. But if you said who would your surprise team be if you had to pick one, I would take Tennessee every single time. So this was a tough one for me. I did so coming into this pick, I have I think three unders and two overs. I don't want to give away my Vandy pick for everyone that's sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for that one. But <laughs> I have like I had I have underwritten on my sheet, but I feel like you know potentially four maybe five unders you know, someone's got to have a, a a good year. And like, I, I just look at Tennessee's schedule. My, my problem with Tennessee is I see woods. I see Missouri. I see Arkansas. I see Vanderbilt as wins, right? I, I, I don't know. I don't know that any, any other game you can just, just confidently say is a win. So I do think that they will have had to make strong progress, like legitimate big strides to get to the point where like we can just start penciling in wins over South Carolina wins over Kentucky, like wins, like they got Auburn and A&M like the, these are, these are all like tr- tough games plus the Alabama plus the Georges. So I, I think six and four would, would constitute a massive, massive win collectively on this season for Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I think I've gotten there. Like I'm, I'll go ahead and play the six and four. I'll take the over, but I don't like. I don't feel confident in it because I still look at the offense and, a Cade Mays, waiver isn't granted. Still, a, still a good offensive line, but like that would have helped to have Cade Mays in the mix. Uh, I still don't think they have a ton of really dynamic weapons at wide receiver. I still don't have, don't really trust the quarterback, running back. I think they'll be good. I think Eric Gray is legit. Defensive line or our defense in general, I think is is going to continue to to be a good unit, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not there yet where I'm like can confidently scream over, but I guess I'm leaning that way. I need to slow down Latifa because that was so unenthusiastic. Like you and I, G Y, you and I, G Y. I mean, I'm on the over here. Like I do think that you can pencil in South Carolina as a win, throw it on there with Missouri, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. And so can, can this, Vols team get two of Kentucky, Texas A&M, Auburn, Florida. It's weird to say, but I, it's definitely not my Georgia homerism showing, but I think the Florida game's a win. You know, I just, I think Tennessee end of the season, if they get there, that game is going to be uh, in Knoxville. You know, we'll, we'll see you know, where both teams are head is at, whether the East is clinched, whether it's been decided at that point, are we playing for a spot in Atlanta or are we playing for pride and a rivalry? So I think that they can get two of Kentucky, Texas, A&M, Auburn, Florida. I am going to be going uh, with the over on the Tennessee Vols. Count them up. All right. 
the Vanderbilt Commodores over under set at one and a half. Derek Mason had a pretty tough year last year. I look at the personnel and I am feeling like this is the second year in a row that we are taking steps down. Now I could be uh, misreading this depth chart. I could not have the proper scouting reports for who's coming up next. So I'm, I'm willing to be proven otherwise, but I feel like the overall trajectory of the talent level has been taken some steps down and I don't know where the spark is that is going to suggest that we've got a big turnaround on our hands. We've had good players and not been able to find a ton of success at Vanderbilt. Uh, I mean, I'll go ahead and get this rolling here. I'm I'm going on the under one and a half. You know what the most criminal aspect of the SEC schedule this year was, Chip? I know that you believe that it's, you know, rigging it for Florida. Yes. I believe that the most criminal aspect is that they didn't let Arkansas and Vandy play. Mm-hmm. Because when I look at the schedules and a little bit of a spoiler alert for our West show later this week, I don't look at Vanderbilt's schedule and see a game where I'm super confident that it's going to win. Like I honestly feel that 0 and 10 is more likely than one and nine, and both are far more likely than two and eight. So by not letting Vandy and Arkansas play, the SEC has put itself in a situation where it could have two winless teams this year. And I just feel like optically, that's that's not going to be great. And so I feel like that they should have done that. But yeah, I'm a I'm on the under here because I don't think Vandy's going to win a game. I did. Um, I've got like these notes for every team like i've got these like and like i wrote out like the each the 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 season like the games game by game and i kind of you know made a little few notes like which games are lost which games win and you know toss up or whatever and a couple of notes in the margin like next to them about some of the key points and i mean call call me unprepared but like i didn't do any of that for Vanderbilt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I feel L, like, L, L. I, I feel like I feel like I'm I, like at this like I've, I've taken some like subtle shots of Vanderbilt on the pod over the last few months and I, I, I feel a little bit bad like I'm like I'm picking on them but I'm really not it's just a remarkable year in which nothing is aligned for Vanderbilt to be successful they have they 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 hired a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator okay uh the the se- there's been several changes at both positions over the over Derek T- Mason's tenure so this is yet another change at offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator and and i have heard really good things about both Todd Fitch from uh, Louisiana Tech and um Oh, the defensive coordinator from that was at Auburn uh, back in the day, um, Ted Roof, and so like the, they're they're good coaches, and yet the offense is is not only are they, are they changing coordinators, like they're changing entire schemes. Hey, scout, I'm talking. <laughs> and so scout, scout is getting upset <laughs> with your band yeah. takes. <laughs> so. Like they they go for from a system that that was like a little had some like pro style elements to now it's like I don't even think they have a tight end in their offense anymore, 
Um, they they also have quarterback. Like not only do they have a new starter at quarterback, they have they're going to be starting one of four quarterbacks that were not even on the roster last year. All of that without spring practice, without a like the the same access to these guys during summer workouts. Um, and in addition to that, like the defense, which is supposed to be improved, returns a bunch of guys, has got like a bunch of guys that are, are opting out. And so the you know, not only just like the the struggles of dealing with a 10-game SEC schedule if you're a Vanderbilt who has to schedule some wins in non-conference, but just just in a typical year, this is a brutal task for Vanderbilt. So with all those other things lopped on, it's it's it, I just don't see how they, they they win a game. I really don't see how they win a game. Oh and ten. 10 returning starters on defense, Barton. Come Let's on. go. Let's go. Take it. Stand right, up for them. Barton. Do These it. are all Do this it. side, this side of the, I'm showing you guys my notes for the other schools. And then there's Vanderbilt's very empty, kind of like Barton's as well. <laughs> that was the only note I had was the returning starters. And then I went through the loss column and, and it was chalk them up, L after L after L. <laughs> I am on the under as well. I think they get one win because I was kind of like the three possible wins. I was like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, or Missouri. I, But I don't – maybe maybe 0-10 is the likely scenario. This is the worst job at the Power 5 level. I mean, is there any question wow. about that? I, I don't think there's a worse job to have. Like Rutgers? So, I, Kansas. Uh, yeah, but Kansas has at least had a little bit of a history. Like they've yeah. at least had some success. I know James Franklin had a, you know a couple nice seasons, but Rutgers might be up there. But I just and Rutgers is the oldest program, so they got that going for them. I, I just think you have academics. You have academics that are going against you. Yeah. Um, you're in the SEC where most places you play, you're going to have a home field advantage. That the crowd isn't great there. Like they don't really care. Um, it's, it's just, I just think it's a thankless job. I think it's really, really a tough job. I mean, if, if it's not the worst, it's bottom three. It's just, I don't know. And I'm not, I don't want to be, feel like I'm just, I just think it is what it is. It's not a good football program. And I don't know if it ever will be. It's not an indictment on Derek Mason. And I don't think this year will be any different. So I'll take the under. You and I, T Y. <laughs> Like, can you do like a sad remix of it? Like, oh, you and I, T.Y. You and I, T.Y. You and I, T.Y. That's a unity. Like the Elliot Smith remix of Queen Latifah. Hey, don't play too much. We're gonna have to. Uh, we're gonna have to pay uh, some royalties. To me, let's go. <laughs> All right, uh, our SEC West show will be coming up next. Uh, so be sure to subscribe if you have not already. He is Danny Cannell. He Hold on. Before we go, before we go, I just want to give us all credit in that we split this up into two shows because the the pack, the ACC show ran so long, and yet we're still well over the hour mark, even for only half the time. We're talking ball, baby. <laughs> That's right. It feels good. Follow him at Tom Fernelli, at Tom Fernelli. Follow him at Danny Cannell. Follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, sir.
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.